My name is Era, and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator Podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates, and entertains you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tamil Creator. Today, I am joined by somebody across the pond, all the way in the UK. Her name is Abhirami Jayaraja, and she's a head of UK Wholesale at Aviva Investors, and she's also a Diversity Project Ambassador. Um, yeah, so Abhirami, welcome to the show. Do you have a nickname that you go by? It's Abhi. Abhi, Just perfect, that. awesome. So Abhi, welcome <laughs> to the show. Uh, thank you for making time. I know it's like the end of your day there. Um, you know, for me, I like to always start at the beginning, and I know that I read in some other places kind of a little bit about your upbringing, but tell, tell people who are listening a bit about how you were brought up and maybe how that played in a part of you choosing a career in finance, which you are now very successful in. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me, Barra. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, where does my story really start? I came over from, the, um, from Sri Lanka to, to London when I was two years old. Um, I think the, the defining moment from, from my upbringing is actually what my dad used to always say to me, which was that you're no less than anybody else. You can do anything that you want to be. I think that's where it's it's always driven me to always do more and never let anything stop me in my way. Um, it was a pretty traditional upbringing overall. I um, did majority sciences, um, but I also did a lot of uh, extracurricular activities through sports and music as well, which were very good in helping me being a lot more rounded and in um, soft skill sets, that means that it was it was much easier to get your first grad role um, through through to post university. But my post university education, I mean, I, I ended up in the US actually when I first started, and and that curiosity is what's probably driven me so far. And what play, what sports did you play when you were younger? Out of curiosity, um, tennis mostly, um, netball, um, swimming. Um, uh, a lot of it in, in terms of county sports as well so that was great fun but it was not so fun when you're doing that on a Saturday at 6 a.m in the morning and how you do that multiple times before you go into school but it was it was it put me in good stead. Do you still play sports at all? I still play tennis although my elbow is injured at the moment for the last six months but I'm definitely getting back into it next month. Got it okay so what was like that spark I don't know if it was in your childhood or like later on that made you choose that path, you know, in education and then eventually career in finance, especially being on the trading floor, because I know women here that are in finance and obviously things are changing, but it's been a traditionally male-dominated space or industry. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that I completely dreamt about doing this my, my whole life. I don't think it was very much like that. So it was um, just seeing what was, what was out there and um, I it just looked very glamorous and it seemed like a great place to be. It absolutely was a hard place to get into, but I didn't let that stop me because it just goes back to, I don't think I consciously realized it, but I think the upbringing part where my dad always said you could always be anything um, held me was like, well, why can't I do that job if everyone else was going to do it? Um, and that's, that's what, what really drove me into doing it. I think I, I looked at um, the programs, they look quite exciting. I thought that, I also thought it was gonna give me a job that I could retire in 10 years time. So I'll be retired by 30, definitely has not happened. Um, so I, I thought it was a quick way of being able to make a lot of money, be very successful and move on from there. But I don't think I truly understood the details of that when, when I entered the program. 
And getting into the program wasn't so easy because for this reason that you said, I think, uh, you know, at the final stages, I was always the only female on the trading floor interviews. And the question that was always being asked is, you know, how are you going to cope being the only female? Um, and, and that did not get me in the first time round, actually, in the first round of grad interviews. But the next time round, um, you know, you learn from how you approach some of those questions and get in the next time round. Has your perception of working in the finance industry changed? Like you mentioned, one of the reasons you chose it was, yeah, there's things you liked about it, but also it's an opportunity to potentially make a large amount of money in a short period of time. And potentially, you know, if you, if you wanted to move on from there and look at other things, has that perspective changed as you kind of continue to work in the space? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think your perspective on what you want to achieve in life changes. So for me, it's about what, what good can I do in, in any role that I do, whether that's what I do in finance or what I do in the diversity project, what can you do that's going to be for good? Um, also, when you start working in finance, you sort of assume, so a lot of assumptions I went into it with is that I did a lot of sciences, so all you need to do is be really good at the sciences and then be successful. Actually, it's not even that. You know, the stat is that, you know, ability is not even 40% of what gets you to where you need to be. The majority is sort of, you know, your, you know, your image and your reputation that gets you the rest of the way. It's learning those soft skill sets, which I wasn't really aware of growing up. So, you know, how is it they're going to manage your stakeholders? How are you going to manage your image? Um, so those are the soft skills that you, you develop over time. That makes probably is the biggest differentiator. Also, then being self-aware. So what is it that you're really good at that you're going to be successful in that role? And it doesn't necessarily need to be in finance. You, you know, turns out my, although it's taken me 10 plus years to figure it out, is that, you know, my skill sets is all around being in front of clients. It's about understanding and being um, a conversation, what really happens to negotiate. I could do that in the arts. I could do that in all sorts of things. Um, but you you pick up those transferable skills and then you decide what career you're, um, or what choices you want to make post that. At the moment, I'm still in finance, but that could change. You mentioned like self-image or like just image, or like a reputation, but how would you say that if I were to ask one of your colleagues to describe you, what would they say? <laughs> what do you think they um, would I say? <laughs> Um, well, I like to think they'll say that I'm friendly, but I think that what they'll probably say is that, um, uh, that I get the job done, um, that I can, you know, navigate, um, uh, you know, the dynamics of a working environment and, and solve problems that they might have. Got it. Um, just in like your career as well, I, I know recently you moved to Aviva from HSBC. And I'm always curious, like I told you before we chatted or jumped on the podcast officially, um, you know, why did you decide to move from, you know, HSBC to Viva? What particularly attracted you to the opportunity or the company? Um, actually, it was even simpler than that. Um, I met an individual that was incredibly inspiring to work for. And... And, and that's what was the driving factor for the role change, um, which meant that I was going to learn a lot from, from, from somebody. And it was also, I was taking on additional responsibility. So I was originally responsible for one part of the sales business, but I was taking on the entire sales, the UK sales business. Um, and so that was a great learning opportunity as well to be able to take over the budget and the, and the um, division. And it's also about driving what good looks like now. 
So being able to influence that was really what was quite exciting for me to what, you know, let me take that step outside of HSBC because I was, I was doing great. I enjoyed what I was doing. It was a great role, great business. Um, but being able to define that and have a bigger, even bigger platform was what, what was the changing point for me to move to Aviva. So what exactly does the head of UK Wholesale do? Um, it sounds like a very fancy title, but I'd like to kind of understand what you do. <laughs> Um, well, it varies from day to day, but for example, today I've um, done a lot of leadership meetings, um, understanding what the larger business is doing versus what we're currently doing, what alignment and problems that we might need to have done and solved. I've had my own team meeting um, as well to see what the team's been up to, what, what um, and they've had things pitched to them. Um, once we're off the call here, I'll be on the phone to clients. Um, to catch up on some of the things that they're doing with my team and things that they might need commercially um, agreed upon. So typically the day for me starts normally at 6am, but that's me going, you know, starts I, when I start and finish the day, also including the gym and that sort of thing. Um, and it, but each day is flexible. It's not a rigid structure because it's very dictated around what my team might need, what the business might need, but also what clients may need. So it's a 24 hour role sometimes so again what so i guess i'm confused by um terms that i see used in other industries that are used in finance as well so when i think wholesale i have a different perception of what i think wholesale is like you know you sell wholesale you sell retail so maybe it's the same kind of analogy but when you say uk wholesale what does that exactly mean like what kind of products or services like what are you i guess helping your clients with this episode is sponsored by nobody that's right nobody so if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. Okay. So what you we have to really dumb it down for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's about helping um, solve savings and retirement um, solutions into the, into the marketplace. So my sales team faces off the wealth and savings and right retirement market in the UK. It, the UK is the second largest market versus just off the US, actually, this little island controls that much assets. Um, that's 9.2 trillion that's sitting in the UK, 1.5 trillion, which is UK domestic wealth. What we end up looking at is offering investment solutions, which might be equities, fixed income or multi-asset propositions, or even things like real assets and infrastructure to be held as part of someone's holdings. And we tend to work with intermediaries. So wholesale refers to the fact that we're really facing off to banks, um, other discretionary firms. So if we're looking at, um, so RBC, for example, would be a client. I'm thinking of Canadian names just off the top of my yes. head. Okay. Um, JP Morgan's a client, Barclays Bank, Santander, but then all the way through to individual IFAs, which are independent financial advisors, which you also have in, in Canada, who might be tied. And we face off them to see, provide them with products that they can then pass on to clients like you and I. So in the UK, we might we have something called an ISA, which is a savings product. Um, I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada, so apologies. And that's what someone will be invest saving, putting their savings into over whatever it might be, a one, five, 10, 15 or 30 year horizon. So it's all the way through that spectrum of clients. Um, and we have a separate team that looks up things like pension funds, but charities also come into my world. So it, it's it's, it just refers to different types of clients that we might face off to. Got it. So you have a like a bunch of products that you sell to 
like the banks or like you said, um, financial advisors and things like that. Have you noticed a trend of like working with, um, I don't know if what you call them down there, like robo advisors or like these digital platforms that, you know, there's, I guess that would be the term, right? Like digital platforms. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of like a wealth simple or something like that. Yeah. Yes. So we would face off organizations like that, but we would offer them the one of our investment solutions that they could host on their platform. Got it. Um, and it is it is the newest trend that's taking the marketplace at the moment. Got it. So so then you know robo advisors are intermediating in a different way to face off the mass market. So they will probably be added to what I just said to you in terms of advisors, robo-advisors would be one of the clients as well that are growing quite fast um, into the space. Do you ever hear the critique The critique on like in finance, or not critique, but like this growing trend of like the robo-advisors, just other, you know, more and more people talking about like just, you know, products like ETFs or just index funds versus um, like, do you see, I don't know if this is a question you can answer, but do you still see the trend of uh advisors being important like human people like i guess human advisors still advising people on like how to manage their wealth or retirement given that there's more and more products that have very low fees that require very little maintenance that don't really require like a human being to actually tell you what to do you just kind of you know buy the s p 500 index fund or you know put into a robo advisor and answer a few questions and it'll, it'll invest it for you without you having to interact with anybody uh, I, again, I don't know if this is something that you would see or be privy to in your day to day, but I'm just curious about that as well. It is my area. So, okay. um, so in my old job I, I, at HSBC, I was very much focused on ETFs and, and index funds as well as active funds. Um, in, in, it's a complex answer to that, to that question. So historically, um, the, more, the more money you had, the more dedicated face-to-face -face advice that you wanted. So you would have a private banker who would come and follow you around the world and get, give you all of your needs. The reality is, even though you might have 30 or 100 or a billion worth of assets, um, you still want to have access to something via your phone. So that it, historically, digital advice would have been something for the lower end customer, but that's not the case anymore. So what has changed is how you segment your client and the servicing that you, they require. So it's a different type of service. The need for face-to-face -face is not going away. So five years ago, even at HSBC, we had that conversation. So are we going to lose our sales teams? And, you know, I've just joined to build a sales team. So you're kind of going, well, what's in it for me? Is their job really? But actually, all, all you, humans buy humans. Everyone wants face-to-face -face interaction. That's not going away. But the way in which we interact will... So, you know, for example, you might have a more sophisticated CRM system that will give you all the information about that individual before you talk to them. Um, that you, you don't have as much time doing your due diligence before you have that conversation. So that's the sort of thing that will change. In the UK, because um, I don't know the stats for Canada or the US offhand, but in the UK, there's a massive advice gap, particularly for individuals that um, are in the lower end of the spectrum um, that don't qualify to have sufficient assets for an advisor. So that is a problem because everyone deserves to have advice. Everyone deserves to have a sustainable savings and retirement opportunity. So the need for face-to-face -face won't go away, but there might be different ways, of particularly leveraging robo, that you can provide some guided advice that will be more cost efficient for a lot of um, advisors or 
for other organizations to step in and help um, solve that problem. You talked about, you know, as you're joining, there's this fear of, you know, as these trends are emerging, is there even a role for me building a sales team? Um, so I guess as a leader where a lot of your job revolves around, you know, either interacting with customers or like building your team and kind of empowering them, but even building the team, uh, there's kind of this general talk about, you know, this great resonation or the great, I guess, um, I forgot the other term I heard, but just kind of people thinking about what they really want to do, where they want to work, how they want to work. How has that impacted you? Like, are you finding it hard to find people that, like, I don't know if you're back in the office or like if it's completely remote, but tell us a bit about how that's impacted you from like a hiring or team building perspective. It, that's a great question because so much has changed. So, um, you know, when you interview now, the second question you are asked is what is your smart working policy? Um, individuals are willing to take a pay cut if it doesn't meet their needs, then actually, um, you know, money is no longer the main motivator. So building teams now is, and which has been the case actually for the last, particularly with the newest generation with Gen Z in place, what motivates them is different. So how you do your hiring needs to be very different. Particularly now that we're, you know, everyone in, in, in the world is thinking about diversity of thought and how you, um, you get more people from different backgrounds into the industry, actually a one size does not fit all. So as an example, um, standard procedures may be that for a senior hire, there's like five, max 10 interviews. But actually for you know, a female or any minority, and I'll include type B white males as a minority as well, um, that might not work for them because they might be motivated by different factors. You might need to spend a lot more time at the beginning to convince them to come on the journey of interviewing with you. Um, so that's been really a fascinating exercise as, as we've been building out the team, because that's what you find. And um, you need to bespoke your hiring process to the individual rather than to do a blanket way, because you end up losing a lot of interesting talent as a result. You also have to hunt in different pools, particularly right now. I mean, um, just to answer your question, we are back in the office. We're back in the office on average three days a week. Um, the COVID restrictions eased up just um, earlier in the month. Um, but the market is very different from 18 months ago. 18 months ago, there's a wealth of talent in the marketplace that you can tap into. At the moment, there's very little talent out in the marketplace. Everything's going at a very high margin. And when every organization is being cost constrained, particularly in terms of profitability over this COVID period, you need to be uh, more creative in terms of how you bring talent into the organization and find interesting individuals. So it's, it's, an interest, it's an interesting time at the moment. It's incredibly challenging, but also rewarding if you can find the right groups of people. And also it forces an organization to think about what good looks like and try a different approach to get what they need. And, you know, you don't have to answer this, but as you're talking about like bespoking or like customizing the offer to the individual and the approach, what's been the most you know, you don't have to say the name or anything, just like, it doesn't have to be current, but in your experience of like trying to find, you know, a particular type of talent and getting that person and then, you know, offering them a package, what's been the most interesting type of package? Because you said money isn't the key thing. So what's been like the most interesting type of package that you've offered to a talent that you really wanted? Did you know that every time you left a five out of five review for this podcast, 
a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true. But if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. Um, it's been really buried, actually. So um, I had an individual a lady join the team a little while ago. And um, she was super keen, got her all over the line. But she there was a lot of sticking points that she ultimately had. And, you know, she had prepped her way, sat me down for 45 minutes saying all sorts of things. I didn't understand where she was going with this conversation, but she had two children. But all she wanted was to be able to pick her children up one day a week and, and pick them up um, and, and take them to school one day a week. And she wanted, um, she, it, was, it was a holiday that has um, childcare in Mauritius every November. That was her ask. But the way she positioned it, it looked like there was, you know, something that was, you know, something that I could not provide her. Um, and that was a really easy answer. But if she had said that in the, in the first 30 seconds, the answer would have been yes, too. Um, so for me, that it just makes you realise that you don't really know what's you've got to what motivates people, and what's really driving. And by the way, she's by far, but was the most successful salesperson I've ever met. Um, very different in her work ethic, super strong, always getting things done. Um, but it's about creating a safe space for every individual to be able to share what their biggest fears are, what they trust you, what their desires are and what they need to thrive. And that's the thing. Every individual, we're all a sum of our parts. What each of us needs to thrive is differently. For her, that was what it was. But she, the relief on her face from, from the moment she said that was, um, I will never forget. It was one of my, one of my highlights. That's amazing. One of the other things beyond kind of, you know, what you do, in terms of building teams and talking to clients is you are the diversity project ambassador. So tell us a bit more about this and why it's so important to you. Um, so as an ambassador, you're really um, showcasing the practices of the diversity project, which is an organization that was set up um, by Helena Morrissey, um, gosh, more than five years ago now, and there's with hundreds of ambassadors. And what we're looking to do is showcase how you can drive better practices in the finance industry across different spectrums of diversity of thought. I mean, I lead the intersectionality workstream of, of the diversity project, which is part of the ethnicity workstream. Um, so why do I do it? I do it because um, I wanna create an environment where everyone feels like they belong. Um, so if, they, if each individual feel like they belong, you create a more um, diverse workforce with diversity of thought, which then in the case of our funds, generate better alpha. In the case of our clients, deliver something that represents the clients that we serve. And the clients that we serve are ever-changing, but also are demanding different things now, particularly as Gen Z and the transfer of wealth is in play um, from the next generation to this one. There's four and a half trillion worth of wealth that's transferring who have different expectations. Um, so, you know, all the voluntary work that I do is really about um, can, if I can change one person's life, then that's the job well done. I remember reading that um, and in some, another interview where you talk about kind of your upbringing and that first role that you applied to that you didn't ultimately get and you felt like uh, the lack of diversity or at least thought or, you know, uh, yeah, I guess lack of diversity in the workplace was partially a factor. Maybe it was a lot of the the, the decision beyond you not getting hired, uh, was that also kind of driving you or am I just putting words in your mouth around like, this project? <laughs> um, well, 
I think the thing here is, is that I, I'm, we're all in a position of influence now. And it's about using that influence for good. Um, so yes, I've had some very challenging experiences throughout my career, but what, it's about being able to share those experiences and create them into learnings or changes in policies that's gonna benefit the next generation. So rather than like pulling the ladder up, it's pushing the ladder down to let the next person to be able to come up. Um, and I think what I, the way I'd sort of see it is that my experience has allowed me to see um, some areas that could be enhanced in the way we conduct ourselves in industry or, or in terms of leadership. Um, you know, there, there's very much a one-size-fits-all process, and I think you might have seen in that interview too, it's all around what can we do to rip up the rule book? Rule book? Um, because what good looks like, you know, so as an organisation that I work for, is 350, 25 years old. The only way it's going to survive for the next 325 years is that it evolves with the time. And one of the biggest change that we've seen since the Industrial Revolution is technology. I mean, you know, who would have thought that we'll be talking on a podcast from one in London and one in Canada um, and, and the way we've connected. Um, in the same way, um, is just because I've gone through that experience, let's use that experience for good and let's challenge some of these practices so that it will drive um, good for each individual in the workforce or, or our clients or, or for the benefit of the investment products that we have. And that's probably what's driven me more so. Do you see a lot of other Tamil faces in like the leadership positions in the finance industry in the UK or like, I guess, London? Like, have you run across oh, no. others? Not many, actually, not okay. at all. Um, so when there is, I'm always um, uh, touching base and, and seeing what they're doing, what we can learn and what we can do together. I think you also had an individual on here before, Karen, from yes. Wealth Kernel, um, uh, you know, he used to be a client of mine actually when he was working at Barclays. So we keep in touch and we always see each other, um, but actually very few. Um, and that's the thing in, 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 in some of the roles that individuals are applying for, could they apply for different roles that they are in leadership in front office roles um, rather than taking the middle or the back office roles. And that's, you know, I, if you can help guide and um, inspire to be able to do that, that'd be fantastic. There's a young lady actually who's done a great job, just recently graduated, um, and a consultancy firm, which you know I just thought was incredibly inspiring, which I was judging on a panel for, but I would not have known about her if I hadn't been, come across her application. But there's more coming in the new generation. Where do you see yourself in like the next three to five years? Oh, you know, before, um, I was very goal orientated. I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do every every milestone. I'm, I'm a lot more open at the moment in terms of what I like to do. I'm half debating more creative things like writing a book in five years time. Um, I'm currently doing a lot of articles on different topics at the moment, which has created a lot of self-awareness and different thought processes that I hadn't really delved into before. Um, so that might take me into a different angle. Um, I spend a lot of time helping kids in the next generation to work. I'm half debating, do I you know, do that a little bit more in a larger scale? Or do I just take a bigger role in, in, in the finance industry as well? And you can maybe do a combination of all of those. So I'm not gonna to commit to anything specific, but I think one of those three. Interesting. Yeah, there's a, if you listen to the previous episode, Roy Ratnavel, 
he was he went started as a mail clerk went to like vp of sales at like ci financial and he's right i think he just wrote a book where he's in the middle of writing a book so i feel like i've seen that trend now with people in finance i guess like going from analytical to maybe like a bit more creative you want to exercise that part of your brain a bit more um another part of i guess the future i guess it's kind of the present as well and i i wouldn't be a good interviewer if you want to call it that if i didn't ask you about it but cryptocurrency like how do you feel about that in general how does that impact you from like an institutional finance point of view um in terms of i guess products you guys create or yeah i'm just curious about i guess um your viewpoint on it being across the pond because i kind of get a sense of it here in canada and the u.s but yeah I mean, crypto is a growing space. Um, you know, I think originally there was a lot of credibility issues associated with it. That's that's changing slowly now. I mean, it started off as a techno technology world. Coming into finance is about then seeing how it plays against central banks because ultimately it impacts money supply. So the success of it is going to be dependent on how the central banks view it. The second part on this is regulation. Um, you know, transfer of ownership, how those sorts of things work. Um, and given that finance is a heavily regulated industry, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of progress, um, given that there's ETFs that have been launched in cryptocurrencies at the moment. Um, there's organizations are now coming in that bridge the gap between finance and technology to find a medium point, which are now growing very significantly. And there's organizations, what you need is financial organizations to start investing and doing the work in it. So I think it's probably still um, a growing area because you need to pass those technology hurdles and the due diligence before that work gets done. There's a lot of investing happening at the moment. So it's absolutely a growing trend. I don't think it's something that's going away, um, but it's now got to work within the framework of the financial industry or the financial in industry has to also evolve to capture it. Um, and that's where it's interesting at the moment, because, you know, when you're running a business, what you're thinking about is what mega trends do you want to capture? From my perspective, um, you know, is, is, it could be a product that, that the organization needs to develop, um, but that's not, um, but is it a priority right now for us? Um, and for some organizations, it'd be top priority and, and less so in the others because there's other um, trends that we want to capture first. Got it. Do you, I, I guess this is a more of a personal question, do you invest in any kind of cryptocurrency, if you're allowed to say? <laughs> Money can be hard to come by, but here is a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, no, what is I your general investing strategy? You can share high level details, whatever you want to share. Okay, let's go with general investing strategies. Um, so I actually look at things very much on the long term. So I, you, I have not actually changed my investment portfolio massively since I tweaked it um, pre-financial crisis. Because ultimately, um, if I'm, I'm investing for my retirement, long-term investment solutions work. Um, so I have a lot of multi-asset portfolios, but I also have... Um, uh, things that I like quite dabbling with new trends, particularly around ESG and themes and sustainable investing. So um, I am invested in some of those areas as well um, and infrastructure. So something that's going to balance out my portfolio um, so that I can use it in, in 10 to 15 years time. So it varies on the time horizon to portfolios I, I, what I'm invested in.
So like, are you strictly in like, since you're in the financial space, like just financial products or like, are you, do you invest in like hard assets, like real estate or just businesses or, or, or are these things you're considering or is it strictly, I know this really well, I'm going to stick with what I know best, which is kind of financial products that are long-term. Um, no, I mean, I do have property as well, but I think the in the in the UK, the property market has changed quite significantly that you can't have multiple portfolios that have been not so tax efficient. Um, whereas before that would have been the easiest angle to go down. Um, I'd love to say um, that, you know, I was buying fine art and that sort of thing and great wines, but um, most of that wine has been drunk over COVID, so <laughs> that hasn't gone so well. Um, but... But I think I focus very much on on those areas. Uh, for me, it's less, you know, it's it's not so much about accumulation. It's you know, it's about having it enough so that you can retire. The rest is actually about enjoying. Um, so, you know, whether that's a sailing trip and those sort of things, that's the sort of things I focus more in on than um, uh, multiple investment portfolios. If I'm totally honest, not sure I should say that given the job I do, but that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is a failure or like better word? I guess the better wording would be learning lesson you've experienced in the last three years. And what did you learn from that experience? Um, actually, I'll say a personal one at the moment is actually learning to get off the treadmill. So um, it, it's, it's very, one of my hardest learnings is actually having it, learning to take care of yourself, have a better work-life balance and thinking about what you need to do to bring your best self both to work and at home. And it's not necessarily how everyone else has done it to how you want to do it. And um, I can't say that I've got it perfect. Um, I, it has been a massive learning journey, particularly as you take on more leadership opportunities. Do you think about, um, you know, how, what's your leadership style? How do you bring your authentic self to work? Who, who are you? And that's been an interesting struggle, if I'm totally honest, because I think... Um, in the beginning part of my career, I, I was just what everyone wanted me to be. You emulated everybody else. But guess what? When you emulate everybody else, you're not showing who you are. And when I was started in the industry, there weren't anyone that looked like me. Um, so that was an interesting um, uh, journey. And, and now to be able to then figure that out to, you know, how you conduct your work day, what is it that you need to do to be successful? How do you prioritize um, and to do that? Um, it's something that I'm constantly still learning to do, but it's something that I wish I, I, I actually understood that a lot earlier. What's been the impact of the UK Tamil community on you on a personal and professional level? Um, and are you like, and, and sorry, are you also like, how you maybe talk about how connected you are to that community as well? Um, I think the community has really provided a lot of support. Um, the support was not just for me, but my, for my family um, to just help you to get to where you need to be, whether that's, you know, all the way through as a child, through tuition and other areas, people finding guidance to get to the next stage. Um, so that's what's really been great. Um, and in the same way, I wanna be able to give back to um, the, the next generation to be able to do that. Um, you know, and it's great. Um, my uncle was, um, my mama um, was, fantastic at that it was all about him re retiring early and seeing how he can lift the Tamil community so you know it's been very inspiring to watch watch what he was doing all these years 
um, and be able to pick up some of the mantelpiece of that as some, um, going forward. If you had a chance to go back in a time machine and visit 16-year-old Afi, uh, what would you tell her? Um, it probably go back to what I was saying around self-care and those sort of things. I, I think, um, you know, um, that it's okay to show your vulnerable self and be who you truly are rather than pretending to be what everyone else wants you to be. Um, I think as, um, you know, having come over at two, two years old, you sort of figure out who your identity is. And you, you, I spent probably the beginning part of my career a bit of a chameleon, absorbing mm -hmm. what everybody else was. And then it was like, who am I? Because you flex yourself into each one of those scenarios and um you know I, am i somebody that's part of the sri lankan community am i someone part of the british community you know and you don't need to be the chameleon you can just be who you are and um i think that's probably one of my biggest learnings actually recently probably in the last three to five years um and being a combination of some of those things is absolutely fine in terms of your like now looking forward in terms of your personal legacy how would you want to be remembered by your friends and family? Um, I think um, somebody has, has you know, pushed the boundaries to really help other people to look at really what good looks like. And if um, and that I did help some people along the way, that would be absolutely fantastic. And that's a good segue into the last segment of our podcast. So it's a game they like to call Creator Confessions. It's going to basically be a speed run where I say a bunch of statements and you'll tell me the first answer that pops up in your head. Ready? Okay. Awesome. Favorite Tamil food? Mutton rolls. Something that scares you? Oh, heights. Insecurity that you have? It goes back to what I said before, being vulnerable. Favorite show you're watching? Oh, um, This Is Us. Great show. Um, place you're itching to travel to? after this pandemic is over or like handled, whatever you want to call it? Um, I'm going away in three weeks. I'm going to Grenada in the Caribbean. Um, but in terms of where I'd love to go, it's definitely go back to Africa. Which part of Africa? So I was in Namibia, Botswana and Zimbabwe, but I think I'd go back to Namibia and maybe Kenya as well. Uh, I loved Kenya when I went there. Um, fellow Tamil creator, you want to give a shout out too? Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head. That's um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite childhood memory? Um, my favorite childhood memory, I think, is just spending a lot of time with, um, at, you know, one of my mum's family party with lots of food and um, uh, and family and friends out in the garden. Something you like to do for fun outside of work? Sailing. Favorite movie of all time? Oh, that's a really hard one. Um, maybe Godfather 2. A purchase you've made in the last couple of years that you've splurged on, but you have zero regret about it. <laughs> I did an outrageous uh, shopping spree at Selfridges um, with a personal shopper. So it's clothes. <laughs> uh, pet peeve. Pet peeve. Oh. Um, Somebody that keeps on saying um, donkeys years ago, which was a very industry thing. Okay. I was like, I have no idea what that is. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you were going to die tomorrow, a regret that you would have? Um, 
well, I was probably just not spending enough time with family and friends at this time, spending more. Celebrity whose life you'd want to experience for one day? <laughs> Roger Federer. Uh, favorite book you've read or podcast you've listened to that's recently had an impact on you? Oh, gosh, there's lots of books. Um, but I would actually probably say the one that's it's quite commercial, but I'd say Becoming by Michelle Obama. A belief, behavior, or habit that's improved your life? Curiosity. And finally, a piece of advice that you would give to your fellow aspiring Tamil creators out there? To think big. Everything is achievable if you think big. Love it. Well, that was awesome, uh, Abhi. That was a great episode. Uh, you were very, you had a lot of really good insights. I think people will enjoy it. Uh, for somebody listening that was inspired by your story or just wants to connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. You just search my name. Awesome. Well, I'll share that in the, the show notes. So thank you again for jumping, jumping on the podcast. And for those of you listening, appreciate you guys as always. On to the next episode. Thank you for having me.